Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 44, Existential Mourning. Does Jesus really want us to mourn? How will our prayer life change when we do? Steve answers these questions and more as he teaches on the second beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, which is Matthew 5, 4. This seems like exactly the right time to be looking at the Beatitudes. Uh, all of us who are watching the news, um, we realize that there has never, ever, ever been a time like this. Uh, it's a time of equalization. The, uh, the Prince of Wales is uh, positive. The Prime Minister of the UK is positive. Uh, one of the major news anchors just became positive today. It, it's, a, it's a pandemic that is a great equalizer. It doesn't matter where we live. It doesn't matter whether we're rich or poor. Uh, it doesn't matter whether we're believers or not believers. This is uh, a time that is exposing at an international level, exposing our vulnerability and our weakness. So it seems to me that huh, in the providence of the Lord, as as Two months ago, I felt like I should teach this series. It, it, it seems to me to be timely. Last week, we talked about the first beatitude, which I said was like the, the keystone of, of all the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. We talked about it spiritually. We talked about it emotionally. We talked about it uh, physically, how... how uh, we need both Luke 6, Luke's Beatitudes, and Matthew's Beatitudes to get a right perspective. The blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about acknowledging our weakness, um, that we're not making excuses, we're not sidestepping. And we said that the blessing is about recognizing that Jesus in the, is in the midst of our poverty. It's not that he will be because we're poor in spirit. He is there right now. Um, I said to you last week that uh, many of the early church fathers saw the Beatitudes as a kind of, of ladder. It was uh, something that, that uh, not an achievement, but a drawing us up into the presence of the Lord. Um, and the poor in spirit, of course, was the first step or rung on that ladder. And uh, tonight, um, we're going to go to the second one. Blessed are those who mourn. But the poor in spirit, the reason this is the foundation, what we needed last week in order to better understand this week, is because the poor in spirit are sensitive to the poverty, pain, and suffering of others. Worldwide, this is a time of mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a time of mourning. It's a time of loss. Uh, it's a time uh, of insecurity. It's a time where we're losing the certainties that we thought we had. Those certainties suddenly are uncertain. The assumptions uh, that we live with have been exposed as, uh, as wrong. So what are we mourning right now? Well, the list is almost endless. I wrote down just a few things. Uh, the first thing is loss. We're mourning the loss of contact. I'm sure many of you are like us. We're into our third week of self-isolation. We're, we're mourning the, the loss of work or a job or even the camaraderie at our place of work. We're mourning loss of finances. This is taking a big hit, and it, the hit will get stronger. We all know that. We all watch the same news. We're mourning, for many of us, time with our family. Um, you know, I'm so glad for FaceTime and WhatsApp, etc. And we are reaching out. I think all of us are reaching out more than ever. But I just want to hold my grandkids. Um, and for some, and this is beginning to increase, we're suffering the mourning of loss of loved ones because uh, the reality is the death toll is climbing. 
uh, in multiples. So we're mourning loss. There's another mourning, I think, and that is the plight of the most vulnerable. Um, in the impact world, we are, we are going really hard right now, working with our partners to, to help uh, the poor in various countries that we work with. Uh, in just what is a daily struggle for food. It's, it's not that you get paid once a month or twice a month. It is the same system that goes all the way back to biblical times. Remember in, in Matthew 20, the landowner paid them at the end of the day. Well, there's no pay at the end of the day. There's no safety net. And um, so we're, some of us find ourselves really mourning for these most vulnerable ones. I've been praying really hard in the uh, Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. <sighs> I think that, that we are mourning the plight of frontline workers, the particular news broadcast Christine and I watched tonight. The bulk of it was simply listening to doctors and nurses and orderlies and uh, not only their great danger, but just the emotional plight. And we're starting to lose those frontline workers. So what we are in, I believe, internationally, is mourning, which really another English word for the, for the Greek word is grieving. We are in a time of grief. And I never dreamt that as I started to prepare this series. And so I did a little looking up on the five stages of grief. Many of us know them. I just wanted to make sure I had the order right. And, you know, we can see these stages uh, at a societal level, at personal level, certainly at a political level right now. And they go like this. The first is denial. No, we're, this isn't happening. We're going to be okay. We're fine. The second is, is anger, and anger includes blame shifting and so forth. And the third is bargaining. Well, maybe if we just do this, then it'll be okay. And then the fourth stage of grief is depression. And the fifth stage, if we ever get to it, and many do and some don't in grieving, is acceptance. So there's denial then anger, then bargaining, then depression, then acceptance. The word for mourn in verse 4 means to weep, to grieve, to lament, to sorrow, and, and a word we don't use much anymore, bewail, which really means intense, heartbreaking sorrow. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are feeling a bit sad. It's those that are, are just broken by this. So I want to talk about a few main aspects of mourning. And the first one is repentance. Uh, by that I mean mourning over my sin. Jesus didn't give us an object of mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. He didn't say those who mourn over their sin or those who mourn over their circumstances. So what are the historical possibilities? And as I have read, uh, I've read historical theology going back to the second century this past week. As I've read uh, Reformation, as I've read uh, 20th and 21st century, here's a few of the assumptions of, of what or possibilities of what uh it means to mourn. Uh, number one, mourning over our own sin and our own hard-heartedness. Number two, uh, weeping for the suffering and sin that's in the world. Now, those are the two most common. I found those everywhere through 1800 centuries, but I found other things too. Three, mourning for God's wounded honor in the world. And I understand that as I pray the Lord's Prayer, which if you stay for this global house church tonight, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. And hallowed be thy name. Radiant be thy name. 
glorious be thy name, revered be thy name. It's, it's, it's the honor of God that we're praying about. Um, for some, uh, some of these theologians say it is mourning for the poor and the disenfranchised. And that, that's more likely to be in modern times, although I did see it a little bit uh, in the church fathers. And five, mourning for the present condition of God's persecuted people in the world. Um, what we do know is that Jesus is bringing the kingdom's comfort to those who weep, to those who are brokenhearted. Um, so the two dominant themes, to say it again, are repentance for our sin, let's say for my sin, and repentance for the sins of the world. Now, it seems that there's two kinds of mourning. One, there's the mourning that reflects loss or even a loss of hope. A hopelessness is linked very much with mourning. And the second is the mourning that comes from an encounter with the truth. Sometimes God breaks through with the truth and we weep, we mourn. Uh, Paul addressed it in this way, 2 Corinthians um, 7 verse 10. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. So this second type of mourning that comes from a breakthrough with God, uh, it describes repentance in the classic um, first century term of metanoia, which doesn't actually mean to weep, though that may happen. Metanoia simply means to change your way of thinking. And this is the repentance that heals. For many of us, we tend to make excuses for our sin. We've got all kinds of excuses. Well, that, it, you know, that isn't really sin. That's just a, a tendency I have. Or, you know, my Uncle Fred had that too or something. And, and we, we try to make our own sin small. That's why, by the way, we spent four weeks recently in the last podcast series on the mystery of Christ. We spent the last four weeks on the mystery of the cross. To behold the cross, both Christ's total identification with humanity and the ultimate cost that he bore, I think is the only way to ever begin to embrace mourning for our sin. We need to spend time meditating on, some of us just physically looking at a cross, meditating on the cross. I'm going to say it again. As we behold the cross, we see both Christ's total identification with humanity, with its pain and its brokenness and its sorrow and its sin, and also the ultimate cost that he bore. And it is the only way, I think, to ever begin to embrace mourning for our sin. I have been, even today, I got some hard news about a situation. <sighs> we got hard news all around us, whether it's the Me Too movement or whether it's what's going on with refugees. But when we get these situations, it can cause us to mourn, but I believe we need to go to the cross. We need to go to the cross, and especially as we are confronted with our own failings and our own sin. I don't know any other way to move into real mourning than to behold Christ on the cross. To behold the cross is the only way we're ever going to begin to embrace mourning for our sin. So the second aspect of mourning I want to talk about is mourning for the world. Twice the Gospels record that Jesus wept. He cried out, he cried, uh, in Luke 13 and in Matthew 23, when he looked down on the city, probably from the Mount of Olives, and, uh, and he wept over the sin of the world. 
He wept over the consequences that he could see were, were coming. He could see what those around him either couldn't see or wouldn't refuse to see. And he cried out, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. It's interesting because the heading, I think it's in the New Living Translation for that paragraph, says Jesus laments. And as I told you, lament is one of the meanings for the word uh, to mourn. He grieved as though Jerusalem's destruction was happening right now. He felt it so viscerally. He knew what was coming and he grieved as if it was right there and not 40 years hence. The second place in the Gospels where Jesus mourned is one of the most famous verses of all. In John 11, when Lazarus died, it says simply, Jesus wept. And what was this? This was his human response to death and the pain that it causes all mankind. This takes us right back to the incarnation, fully God, fully man, hypostasis, all these things that we've talked about. If you're not sure about them, go back and, and start to listen to the last podcast series on the mystery of Christ. But here's something interesting. Jesus wept. But Jesus, as Hebrews 13 tells us, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I insist that Christ exists outside, beyond the bounds of time and space. And I would say matter. So Jesus, who is the same forever, who wept then, he weeps right now. He is a weeping, co-suffering Christ. And I think we find his tears in our tears when we weep. Therefore, uh, Jim Forrest, terrific uh, writer, he has said that Jesus weeping is a kind of sacrament. A sacrament is simply something regarded as possessing a sacred character or mysterious significance. I'll say that again. A sacrament is simply something that is regarded as possessing a sacred character or a significance that is part of the mystery of Christ. So when he weeps, and when, when, when we weep, we find his tears in our tears, what we're saying is that his weeping is really a kind of sacrament. Jesus co-suffers with the world. He doesn't stand back. In this beatitude, Jesus calls us to mourn and to weep over the evil and the pain in the world and its consequences, which is always suffering. Martin Luther translated, uh, blessed are those who mourn as blessed are the sorrow bearing. Isn't that interesting? That we bear sorrow. Disciples of Jesus do not ignore, nor do they point a finger at sin and the pain it causes, but they bear the suffering and the sin. Jesus bore sorrow. So do his disciples. Therefore, our tears are a gift. They connect us to Jesus who is sorrowing, and they connect us to humankind. This beatitude runs very deep. I've been, I've been very thoughtful and pensive and at times a little bit emotional this week. This cuts so deep. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So my tears connect me to Jesus who sorrows, but they connect me to mankind. This is a beatitude not only for us, but for the world around us. I want to talk a little bit more about suffering and mourning. Jesus' suffering was profoundly identificational. It was incarnational. 
He entered into the suffering of the world. He is not distancing himself from those who suffer, um, who are suffering either their own sin or the consequences of sin done against them. This is the Word being flesh. This is the second person of the Trinity tabernacling among us. Remember I taught you that dwelt among us means literally to pitch a tent, to tabernacle, to live among us. As Eugene Peterson said, uh, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. God moved into the neighborhood, he said. Thus Jesus is calling us as his disciples He's calling us also to identificational mourning, to feeling the sin and the pain of others, not scolding either externally or inside in our hearts. Well, there you go. Look what they did or what did they expect? But no, feeling it, co-suffering, joining them in it. You know, there's an, an amazing example of identificational mourning and repentance in uh, the book of Daniel. Chapter 9, and it, the whole chapter is about that, but here's just a few verses, starting at verse 4 to 6. Daniel prayed this, I pray to the Lord, I prayed to the Lord my God, and I confessed, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Notice this word. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. He felt it deep in his being. I think in some ways it's connected to compassion, splankness, But it's this identification it's not look what they did, but look what we did. Lord, look what we've done to you, the honor of your name. Look at the pain that we've brought into your creation. Those who mourn do not pray at people or situations, but they pray with them. Let me give you a quote from Joseph Ratzinger from uh, his three-volume Sat Jesus of Nazareth. You may know him as Pope Benedict. He said this, Those who do not harden their hearts to the pain and the need of others, who do not give evil entry to their souls, but suffer under its power and so acknowledge the truth of God, they are the ones who open the windows of the world to let the light in. It is to those who mourn in this sense that great consolation is promised. The New Testament tells us again and again that we are strangers, we are pilgrims, we are aliens. First Peter especially uses that term. That's part of why he always says, you take care of the aliens because you too are aliens. But being aliens is absolutely connected. In fact, it, it leads us to mourning. Um, we are reminded through these kinds of terms in the New Testament that, that the world is not our true home. We are strangers and aliens. They're not just playing a word game. This isn't home. As Paul said to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. Dietrich Bonhoeffer identified mourning with doing without what the world calls uh, peace and prosperity. He, he talks about mourning as being those people, because of their dedication to follow Jesus in his way, they refuse to accommodate to the culture. I talked quite a bit last week about us being countercultural. Um, when Jesus spoke the Beatitudes, he knew what it was going to cost those disciples to follow him. He knew there would be true loss. That's why he said in his most repeated saying, 
Whoever seeks to save his life must lose it. There is real loss. And he knew that by refusing to go along with the injustice and the greed of the world system, which is the spirit of mammon, he knew that those disciples and all who would follow him would suffer under that very same system, that their resistance to that system would inevitably lead to their suffering. In fact, 11 out of 12 disciples, their death. And who knows how many other beyond the 12 disciples. So suffering is directly linked to sorrow and mourning. The disciples would suffer as they loved those who suffer. Instead of lining up with the world and with society that points a finger, that's them and us, that's upper and lower, that's rich and poor. They said, no, like Jesus, we identify with the weak, the outcast, the disenfranchised, the poor. We identify with those who suffer. The next thing I want to talk about is the promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall be comforted. It's the promise for all those who mourn. Now, the clearest reference to this, and we touched briefly on it last week, is Isaiah 61. Uh, I'm going to read you the first three verses in their entirety. I want you to pay attention to the sound of those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, an opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. The gospel brings hope to those who mourn. And I would say that hope is directly linked with comfort. If you bring me hope, you're bringing me comfort. Remember, this is the passage that in Luke's gospel, this is the very passage that Jesus chose to inaugurate, to announce, to begin his earthly ministry. You know, the word for comfort also means literally to find a helper. So what does that take us back to? John's gospel. This is why Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. And he called him the helper and the teacher. You know, Jesus told the story of the prodigal, and we all know that, Luke 15. But he told it with a purpose, to invite us to repent, metanoia, to turn back to the Father. This is the comfort of unconditional, unlimited forgiveness. Repentance, which we've already established, is very much at the center of those who mourn. We mourn over our sins. Repentance opens the way for unconditional forgiveness. It opens God's flood of mercy and comfort. And this beatitude, therefore, reminds us to press into the presence and grace of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So I like giving our podcast listeners an inside edge on what's happening here at Impact Nations. Here's another thing that's hot off the press. Just yesterday, we received our first shipment of goods from our partners in Nepal. 
I'm looking at a box full of handcrafted jewelry that was made by young women in Kathmandu who have benefited from our skills and business programs. Our partners, New Venture, are doing some amazing work in teaching business and then providing the capital and ongoing coaching needed for people to start their own small businesses. I'm really excited that today we're taking our partnership to the next level. So everything that we're selling uh, from our Nepal partners here comes with a card that tells you a little bit about who designed it, uh, who made it, a little bit about the, the benefits of the program. So here, let me, I just, I've got a, a necklace jewelry set here. It's got uh, like some uh, pearls and a uh, cool chain and stuff. So it's a necklace and then two earrings. Uh, I guess earrings usually are two, eh? <laughs> um, and it comes with this little card. Let me just read you what it says here. So if you were to give this as a gift or whatever, this is what, what people would receive when they get the necklace. It's a card that says, designed and handcrafted in Nepal. Our artisan, Anu, is excited to use her earnings to pay for her school fees. She lives at a safe house with which is partnering with New Venture to equip at-risk women with skills. At Impact Nations, we believe the gospel of God's kingdom carries the power to transform lives. Our goal is to provide the help needed to move both individuals and communities into long-term sustainability. The profits from this necklace and earring set go directly to skills and business training and microloans for entrepreneurs like Anu. And the cool thing is, uh, on the front, we've got... Uh, a girl named Prabina, uh, who was actually hired by Anu. So she's done the design and now she's hiring others uh, to help her make this set. So I think Prabina might have made the uh, earrings. So she's written her, her name right on the front, like handwritten. You can see exactly who made this thing. So anyway, I'm super excited. Um, some other items that are coming in a box uh, later this week are macrame. I'm still not 100% certain what that means, but I'm hoping you do. Uh, we've got Christmas ornaments. Uh, we've got handmade cards that look just amazing. Uh, and you wouldn't believe how excited the girls were when they found out that their creations were going to be shipped halfway around the world and then sold online um, and that they were actually going to get paid for their work, that they'd actually have customers on a large scale. They're just so excited. Uh, so we've already purchased this inventory from them. And that income is helping them become self-sustained. Uh, like I said, Anu is going to spend that money on uh, investing in more schooling for herself. Um Others, I know, are going to be reinvesting some of the profits right back into their growing businesses, which is exactly what they've been taught to do. Uh, meanwhile, 100% of the profits from your purchase at Impact Nations are going to be poured right back into the Impact Nations skills and business programs so that next year we'll have even more cool stuff for you to buy because we'll be helping others get their own small businesses started and we'll get to purchase their stuff from them too. So, I don't know, you can probably tell I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, I'd like to pass on some savings to you, our podcast listeners. I, I want you guys to get a benefit for just being dedicated listeners for so many years to the Impact Nations podcast. So from now until November 30th, if you use the discount code PODCASTNEPAL, that's PODCAST-NEPAL, all kind of one word with a hyphen in between, PODCAST-NEPAL, you're going to get 20% off your purchase if you purchase four items or more from Nepal. Um, with a deal like that, I'd be if I was you, I'd be buying as much as you possibly can. Get your Christmas shopping done now. Uh, you know, load up. Get, get grandma, get your aunt, get your mom, get your cousin, whatever. Get them some jewelry. Uh, maybe get your Christmas cards right now. This, some of the handcrafted cards, I'll tell you about these more in a couple weeks when I get my hands on them, but um, they're like quilled cards. They're three-dimensional uh, with beautiful Christmas patterns on them and stuff. Imagine being able to give your loved one a Christmas card uh, that was handmade in Nepal, and then inside of that card is perhaps one of these jewelry sets also handmade in Nepal, uh, and being able to share with them the story of how uh, this gift is actually setting people free from uh, just generational poverty. Anyway, get your, get your Christmas shopping done. Go buy four things. Get 20% off. Use that discount code podcast-nepal. Uh, hey, especially those of you outside the United States, we can ship to you, but uh, shipping has taken a while. We've been ship we're just mailing some stuff to Canada. It's taken like six weeks, so you got to get on this stuff now. Uh, so push pause. 
Go now to impactnations.com slash Nepal. That's, that's the shortcut. Impactnations.com slash Nepal. Just hit pause. Don't delay. Go do it right now. Supplies are limited. And so, like, once this box is empty, this box of jewelry, you're out of luck. That's it. So, uh, this is all the stuff we're getting this year. Uh, don't miss your chance to save that 20%. Get a bunch of really cool gifts, all while helping the desperately poor change their future. Come on. This is awesome. Okay. I need to calm down because we're supposed to be talking about mourning. So now, back to the podcast. I said to you last week that these eight Beatitudes are Jesus' biography. They're who he is and what he calls us up to and invites us into. So I've just taken time, ah, not as much time as usual, I see. I've taken time to talk about mourning and to look at some of the, the various views. And there's a great overlap, whether we're talking early church fathers or whether we're talking Catholic theologians or Orthodox or Evangelical or mainline. But I wanted tonight to open up a fourth aspect of mourning. We've talked about repentance. We've talked about the um, uh, the feeling, the co-suffering with the world, mourning over the sin and pain. We've talked about the promise of comfort. But I want to take it in a little bit of a different direction. And frankly, I'm not that sure if I'm going to be able to communicate this very well. But I think there is a mourning that goes even beyond uh, our repentance for sin, that goes on our mourning for the state of the world. It, it's, it's more existential than that. It's more right into our, it's almost like our DNA. Another kind of mourning that is not mourning on behalf of those who are in pain, those who are in dire straits, not repentance for my sin. It is a mourning. It is a deep sorrow that is beyond my ability to describe. And I'm not alone in this effort. Uh, it is the hardest thing to try to put into words. Having said that, I'm going to try. Sometimes this mourning, it just bubbles up. It just comes up totally unexpected, and, and it can be triggered suddenly through a, a memory or a certain sound or, or, or something that's kind of familiar or even a certain sight. And sometimes these things are very beautiful, but equally it can bring a vague sadness. I can look at a beautiful sunset and thoroughly enjoy it, but at the same time underneath it, there's this vague sadness that I think is a little bit of this existential mourning. This mourning seems to be a longing for something that is beyond our grasp. It's something we can almost, but never quite reach or clearly see. I think it is homesickness. I really believe it's homesickness. Uh, for as long as we're here, this world is not, nor will it ever be, our true home. That's why Peter, Paul said, you're strangers, you're pilgrims, you're sojourners, you're aliens. It's a homesickness that's, that's kind of hard to articulate. Our true home is forever. This one is fleeting. Maybe that's why some of us feel a, a vague sense of loss, even in the midst of something pleasurable. Um, you know, as a grandparent, 
I've been so aware that I look at my grandchildren and I got 14 of them. So we've got so many stages covered. But as I'm with any of them, so often I think, oh, this is so beautiful. I love the stage they're at right now. I love it. It's, this is, this feels perfect. But at the same moment, I know they will never be this age again. This sunset, this day, we just had the most amazing day. And we rejoice in it. I'm certainly not talking about being morose. We rejoice in it. But underneath, there's this vague homesickness, this vague mourning, because we're never going to have this day again. This is the reality that we live in. This is the reality we live in. Our situations, our friends, our family, our relationships. But deep down, we know we're made for something different. We are made for heaven. See, we're made for a person, Jesus, but we're made for a place, a reality, heaven the age to come. Um, we're living between the times. I just heard a prophetic word from one of our board members yesterday about, about being between times right now. But, you know, uh, George Eldon Ladd said we're living in the already and the not yet. The, uh, the presence of the future. I like C.S. Lewis very much, and uh, in a book of his essays, my favorite is the most famous one, uh, The Weight of Glory, because I feel like he could articulate some of this homesickness, some of this mourning. He said this, We remain conscious of a desire which no natural happiness will satisfy. A little later in the same essay, he said this, Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the side of some door which we've always seen from the outside, is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation." That longing, he's saying, that mourning is what points us to, and in one sense connects us to the ultimate reality of our eternal destiny and existence. There's a, there is a kind of longing, there is a kind of mourning, a reaching toward our ultimate home, which is heaven. But I want to go a little deeper. Because even beyond this homesickness, there's a deep mourning that seems to grow as we come closer to God. I've personally been on a journey. I've said that publicly. I've been on a journey for maybe eight years, unlike any of the 43 years before. And, and part of that is just turning to and pressing into the mystery, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. But as I begin to see, and I emphasize the word beginning, to see the holiness of God, which, which I would define holiness as transcendent beauty. As I begin to see more of his transcendent beauty, at the same time, I become more aware of my frailty. I'm completely aware of his total acceptance and love me, his forgiveness. He loves to be with me. But in the midst of that, the more I see his beauty, the more I see my frailty. And so this takes us back once again to a word that we've come to repeatedly over the last number of months, and that's paradox. Two opposites that belong together. It's a truth intention. The same triune God who invites me to come to Him. Matthew 28. 
Come to me all who are weary. John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come. Isaiah 55, oh, come to the water. And on and on. It's this same inviting God. He is the one who I can never fully reach. And I can never fully realize. <laughs> I'm subtly reminded of a, of a quote from a Thornton Wilder play where the young girl just thought of this. She's feeling some of these things and she says, Oh, earth, you're too wonderful for anyone to realize you. We can never fully reach, fully realize because he is infinite and I am finite. He is pure and I am impure. There is a morning when we long for him with all our hearts because we realize that we are removed from total unity with true good. He is true good. And as we sit in quiet before him, we begin to somehow deep in our spirits without words, we begin to perceive without words his goodness. And the more we see his goodness or perceive it, the more we realize the poverty of our human nature. Gregory of Nyssa, one of the Cappadocian fathers, which simply means a fourth century father from Cappadocia, and uh, someone I like very much, he said this, the more we believe the nature of the good to exceed our comprehension, the more should our sorrow grow within us because we are separated from a good so great that we cannot even attain to its knowledge. Remember last week I told you that St. Gregory said that we were created to be a perfect reflection of God. But this is, this is what the garden was about. This is what paradise was about. A perfect, perfect reflection. But that after the fall through sin, he said it's like grime coming onto a mirror. And uh, that, that they no longer, our, our souls no longer reflect his image. They no longer reflect who he really is. I think... And I agree with him in this. As we begin to be aware of what he created us to be, we become aware of all that we lost in paradise. What was created for immortality was destroyed by death. What was created to perfectly reflect the true good, the triune God is now impure. We've lost that reflection. I'm going to ask Isaiah to put up the link for the Global House Church on the family page as I finish talking. <coughs> and I don't want to forget that tomorrow morning at 9.30 Mountain Time, Tim will be interviewing Brad Jerzak and I on the cross Excuse me. Tonight, <clears throat> we've looked at the major themes and interpretations of this second beatitude. We've looked at mourning over our own sin. We've looked at mourning over the sin of the world. We've looked at co-suffering, that is, joining with Jesus in mourning and not judging the world. He said, didn't he, in John 12, I think it's around verse 48, he said, I didn't come to judge the world, to save it. We looked at the promise of comfort, which is, which is in fact the third person, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. But also tonight I tried to put words to something more existential, almost more vague, 
And some of you over these last 15 minutes may, may be connecting with what I'm saying. And others may be thinking, what is this guy going on about? That's okay. Both responses are okay. For me, as I continue to journey in, in contemplation, I'm learning to live with this paradox. I somehow am feeling a, a great sense of unity. And yet at other times, I don't feel it at all. But even in the intimate times of quiet with God, I am so aware of the limitations. I am so aware of the great gulf between his infiniteness, his transcendence, and my finiteness, and my, what Gregory called the, the dirt or grime on the mirror. But I'm hooked. Even though I mourn, there is something of beauty in the journey. It's interesting, the more I am on this journey, and oh, it has ups and downs, and oh, I have times I feel so close to him, and other times where I'm just quiet before him by faith because I'm not feeling much of anything. But I'm believing because he is true good. I am believing regardless of whether I feel his presence or not. There's exchange. But as I increase and go longer in that, I find, I find myself mourning for the world. I've been mourning pretty profoundly the last two weeks for thousands of people that are in our world overseas that are, are fighting starvation. I, I get bad news about a ministry and and just mourning rises up in me. I watch, like you do, the news of the last two weeks, and to my great surprise, day by day as I'm watching the news, way more than anxiety or worry, mourning is rising up. And so I believe I'm in a unique place of being comforted by the Lord. I said to you tonight and last week that the Beatitudes are Jesus' biography. And I believe that as we really consider their meaning and significance, these Beatitudes must drive us to the cross. Let me pray, and we're going to take about a two-minute break so that people can get ready to, to join in on this Global House Church. We've got a couple going to lead us in communion. We've got all kinds of things. And, uh, and let's enjoy it together. The, the, the phrase so common now is, uh, let's be alone together. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for, I thank you for your comfort. I thank you that you take us into deep places. I even thank you for paradox, Lord. And I, uh, I just pray that you would take us deeper and deeper and deeper. These Beatitudes are who you are and what you're inviting us up to be. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I hope that this has been a really rich time for you and that you're beginning to look at these Beatitudes in a whole new way. We're going to be discussing some of these things in one of our Q&A sessions next week. So if you have a specific question that you'd like us to discuss, just email it to podcast at impactnations.com. In the meantime, don't forget to start your Christmas shopping early at impactnations.com slash Nepal, where you're going to find that whole catalog of amazing handcrafted material from Nepal. Just use that discount code podcast-Nepal to get 20% off your purchase of four or more items. Uh, thanks so much and have a great week. 